One of the coolest things about emergency medicine is the skill to see anyone, anywhere. Dr. Rory Stewart truly has this skill. He is a physician and lieutenant in the Air Force, and he's also the recipient of the Bronze Heart for his fight against COVID while in Afghanistan. Afghanistan! Fighting COVID! I don't even know what to say. This is an EM Pulse Hotbeat with your host, Julia Magana. Rory, it is really cool that we get to work with you guys in the Air Force and have you in our department. I feel like you guys bring a really interesting perspective and a lot of awesome stories. Yeah, definitely cool war stories. We're good for that. So let's jump into some of your war stories. Tell us about where did you go recently and why did you go there? Yeah, absolutely. So in September of 2019, I left for a scheduled deployment to Afghanistan. Initially, I was scheduled to be there for about a six-month deployment, so I was supposed to be back home in uh, April of 2020. I was there as the lead emergency medical physician at the hospital uh, at Bagram Airfield. Uh, but of course, uh, around uh, January, February timeframe, uh, COVID hit, and all of those plans went straight out the window. And like the rest of the world, we were kind of caught a little bit off guard and, and had to adapt and overcome, as we say in the Air Force. And you came back later, right? Like this prolonged your deployment? Yeah, I was initially supposed to be back in, in April of 2020 and didn't really get back until July. That is quite the extension. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, what was it like being internationally on a Air Force base when COVID hit? Yeah, so it was, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, the, the challenges that we faced were things that I never even thought of. When we, you know, the first two-thirds of the deployment over there kind of occurred as, as you know, what I would expect a, a typical combat deployment uh, would go. We, we saw quite a bit of trauma um, and I thought, you know, we were doing the job that we were sent over there to do. And then once COVID hit, uh, you know, I remember kind of vividly around January, February timeframe, kind of like everyone else, we were watching the news coming out of China that, that there was this emerging infectious disease and that it had the potential to spread fairly quickly. That kind of caught our attention because, you know, we shared a border with China and you know, the northern border of Afghanistan runs along China, Pakistan. Uh, down into Iran. And as the virus spread out of China proper and into those areas, uh, it became more and more apparent that it was going to become an issue in Afghanistan. You know, we were there to support the NATO mission. Uh, and under the, you know, the umbrella of the NATO mission, that comprises about 60,000 individuals, uh, some U.S. troops, some diplomats, uh, allied forces, NATO forces. So, when we realized that COVID was starting to get out of control, particularly in Iran, uh, is where it hit first in, in that area of the country. Um, and we knew there was a very porous border between Iran and uh, it's, uh, southern Afghanistan. And through some of the NGOs we were in contact with, we knew there was quite a bit of flow of uh, uh, refugees leaving Iran coming into the, the southern reaches of Afghanistan. So uh, clearly, it was going to spread in the local population. What we were looking at was potentially, you know, a, a population 
of 60,000 people that were at some risk of COVID. And we had, you know, small, essentially first aid stations scattered across the country and then two large hospitals. The key is that these hospitals are set up for trauma. That's really what we're there for. And so it's heavy on emergency medicine and trauma surgery and very light on pulm, critical care, infectious disease, internal medicine. Uh, and our whole AeroVac system is based on damage control resuscitation, damage control surgery, you know, stop the bleeding and get them on a plane and get them out of country as soon as possible. Well, that whole system completely collapsed because no one was flying because of COVID. So this was the first time in my military career over, you know, several deployments where we really had no pressure release valve. It, it was us. You're going to have to figure it out with what you got on the ground there. And, you know, the cavalry is not coming over the, over the hill to help save you guys. And all of that seated right next to China, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and right, Iran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. China, Iran, and Pakistan all lined up right next to us. So what did you do once you realized that? I want to give credit to what we consider the, the line side commanders in the military. There's two distinct entities. We call it, you know the medical corps and then the line side. So anything non-medical, we consider line. And so if I use that term, that's what I'm referring to. So our line side commanders had the foresight to understand that this was a potentially serious problem and potentially could threaten the entire operation in Afghanistan if COVID became out of control. And what they did is they got a group of physicians and medics together. Um, you know, I was part of that group early on. And they essentially put us in a room with the war planners, which was a really interesting experience. They, they said, all right, you guys figure this out. Doctors, talk to the war planners and you give us a plan to defeat COVID. That's kind of how they see things. COVID is now the enemy. We're going to defeat COVID. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> at, yeah. At the time, um, first armor division, which is a, a large army division, I think big tank uh, battalions, those were the folks in charge of the operation in Afghanistan. So we're in a room with uh, people who were, you know, tank commanders and, and used to planning literally the war with the Taliban. Um, you know, they calculated how much diesel fuel, how much jet fuel, how much bullets go here and there and when they go. And now all of a sudden they had to shift focus to work with us and talk about how they were going to quote unquote defeat COVID. So after, you know, a bumpy transition period of a, of a week or so, probably longer, actually, maybe a few weeks where they had to learn to speak our language and we had to learn to speak their language. Things got together. And I think we got on track. But what was really interesting is they don't like to work in gray areas. Everything is very black and white for them. Um, and they would ask questions about this virus or, or want very specific things like you give us a yes or no answer about X, Y, or Z. And we would have to come back and say, well, we don't know that. No one in the world knows the characteristics of this virus or how many people are going to get infected or who gets infected, you know, what percentage of those people will go on to require advanced medical care. They were completely unsatisfied with those answers because in their mind, well, there's an answer for everything. You guys just aren't thinking hard enough about this or you, you don't, you know, you're just hedging your bets. You don't want to give us a good answer. So there was some... Uh, some things lost in translation between, you know, medical speak and, and the line side kind of military logistics. But again, to their credit, they were very adaptable. They're extremely smart people. And they got a crash course in, in medicine and I got a crash course in army logistics planning. And, <laughs> and again, we kind of got on the same page and started building these intra-Afghan AeroVac platforms where we knew that we weren't going to get AeroVac assets in from outside the country. But we figured 
we have, you know, our own C-130s, which are airplanes, our own helicopters that we could use, and we could shuffle people around. And what the plan was going to be that we were going to consolidate our resources at our two large hospitals in southern Afghanistan and northern Afghanistan. So one of the things we did right off the bat is when we knew that COVID had come across the border into Afghanistan and was in the local population, we completely locked down all the bases. So we shut down all traffic on and off bases as much as we could. Uh, now, you have to remember at the same time, this is a very sensitive diplomatic and political environment. Uh, we had just gone into a reduction in violence treaty with the Taliban. There was intra-Taliban uh, Afghan government negotiations, um, or at least the run-up to those. And so this is a very tenuous time. And telling our higher command, who are essentially not only military commanders, but high-level diplomats in Afghanistan, that they could no longer interact directly with the, the Afghan government and the Taliban was not well-received because everything in that country needs to happen face-to-face. -face. The business doesn't get done over Zoom or Skype. So that was a huge blow. Furthermore, we had to reduce, you know, our military footprint to where we just kind of were on a, a defensive, you know, all offensive engagement stopped and we collapsed down into the bases and just were essentially existing over there. Uh, none of this was lost on, you know, the Taliban, ISIS, Haqqani network and all the uh, people who would like to see us leave Afghanistan. So there was a lot of you know, interesting things going on where kind of psychological warfare or propaganda against us, where people were saying, well, you know, this, uh, this disease is a hoax or it's, it, it was made by the Americans and they're trying to manipulate, you know, the Afghan population by doing this. So some of the things that we were trying to do to help the Afghan population with basic public health recommendations or services, uh, we were being actively thwarted by, you know, people who had a vested interest to make sure that our role in the country was diminished. So were you guys actively trying to help locals as well? Or did you just have to kind of huddle in and focus on the people that you were responsible for there in Afghanistan? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. And that became a, a very sensitive political topic at the time. Because Unfortunately, the Afghan public health infrastructure is is almost non-existent. Probably outside of, of Kabul and maybe Kandahar, there really aren't hospitals. And even the hospitals that are there are not going to be able to provide any kind of public health response to this. So over the years, the Afghans have come to rely on our military hospitals there for some type of care, particularly high-level diplomatic care. And again, not going into details, but you know, prior to COVID happening, we, we would do some concierge VIP medicine for you know high-ranking uh, Afghan officials. Um, and so I think they, in, in, in their mind, that option was always there. If COVID got really bad, well, the Americans have this robust uh, you know, healthcare infrastructure. Of, of course, they're going to be able to provide care. Unfortunately, the reality was we didn't have that ability. We were probably looking at a, a situation where if it broke as bad as it could have, we were not going to be able to provide care for even our own forces that were over there, let alone try to get out and help the Afghan population. So initially, it, it was a very hard line. Uh, our leadership said, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to provide recommendations and public health and precautionary 
instructions to the Afghan government, but we don't have the ability or the resources to provide care for the Afghan population. That's, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's not our role there, and that's not what we're going to be able to do. Now, as things got going, we realized that the reality on the situ uh, on the ground was we couldn't just completely turn our backs on them. Um, and it was a, a political as much as a moral obligation to try to help them as much as we could. So what ended up happening, Rory, you put a lot of time and effort into that. How bad did COVID hit Afghanistan while you were there? Some of the measures that we took early on, locking down the bases as much as we could, we shut down all common areas, all dining facilities, all uh, gyms, you know, all restaurants, any kind of social club or social activity on base was shut down. Um, everyone, mandatory mask wear 24-7, uh, mandatory social distancing. And it, it's funny, you know, in the military, it, it's much more easy to do that. And you, people have to comply. They can't argue with you. It's, oh, yeah. it's, an, it's an order. <laughs> so it just kind of happened. And I think that bought us time. We had some lead time before we saw the cases start to spike. We were able to kind of implement the plans we had in place, consolidate medical resources in the two larger facilities, build AeroVac routes within the country. And while that was going on, the Air Force itself was spinning up CCAT teams in Germany with special equipment, um, isolation equipment that initially started to be developed during the um, hemorrhagic fever outbreaks in Africa over the last several years. So they took some of those isolation practices and kind of rapidly accelerated the timeline to put those into practice. So kind of a, a two-pronged approach. We were we were still, you know, practicing and playing like we were going to have to deal with these patients exclusively in country without AeroVac, but the Air Force was quickly gathering resources to try to get us a viable solution to AeroVac people out of the country. The first few cases we did have there were U.S. forces, um, and fortunately, they were not all that sick, and we were able to move them to Germany. And after that, then we started seeing what we were worried about, where there's a lot of civilian contractors over there that contract with different uh, defense companies and different international uh, organizations, and they come from all over the globe, all walks of life. You know, any any country or continent you can think of, we probably had a contractor from from that area uh, on our base. And as you can imagine, it, it's it's a lot of money for these people, and there's a big incentive to get over there and work and get paid. So a lot of them come over with not a lot of health screening. Um, some of them hadn't been to the doctor in years, uh, you know, a lot of medical comorbidities. So we also started to look at that and put pressure on these contracting companies to move those people out of there. And I think we ended up getting about seven or 800 contractors out of the country on uh, specific contracted flights, um, even when international air was shut down, to kind of reduce that uh, patient population, which we knew were going to be high utilizers of, of healthcare resources. But really, that's that's where we saw COVID hit uh, hard over there were, were these, um, you know, contracted civilians from all over the world. And one of the problems is once they started getting sick, we had come up with a solution to move U.S. personnel out with the special CCAT teams from Germany. We still had no viable way to move these other patients out of Afghanistan uh, because, again, international SOS was not flying and their home countries were overwhelmed themselves with COVID at this point. So there was, a, you know, 
several patients who we had in our ICU that were sick uh, and needed to go to, you know, an, an ICU somewhere for a prolonged period of time. And we would start working the diplomatic channels through the embassy to talk to their home country and their home countries would say, uh, yeah, that sounds like a tough situation, but we're tapped out here and we have nothing for you guys. So we ended up uh, having some fairly sick civilians in our, uh, you know, essentially combat ICU for quite a while because we had nowhere, literally nowhere to send them. So, Rory, any lessons that you learned while you were setting all of this up and working through this that we can apply here at home? One of the things that I learned was emergency medicine, one of the skill sets that we bring to the table. And, and I always knew this, uh, and I talk about this with, the, with our residents, particularly when our students are interviewing, is people talk about trauma and critical care. And, and that's, you know, that the Hollywood version of emergency medicine, which is, is true. We, we do that. And that's a fun, cool part of our job. But I think what we really do is problem solve. And I think that's the, the skill set that we have. Uh, if you ask, you know, what's what's the unique skill set of emergency medicine? I say, well, we're problem solvers because oftentimes we're given problems that that no one else in in the hospital or the community wants to deal with or has to deal with, and we're we're forced to come up with solutions for bad situations. And uh, you know, I think initially, if you would have said that, okay, well, you're going to put together a panel of of physicians to deal with COVID in Afghanistan, um, you know, I don't know if if emergency medicine would have been on the top of someone's list, but (laughs) some of that was by default, as much as trauma surgeons and ER doctors trying to figure this out. But, um, you know, I do think we're, we're very pragmatic. We are used to dealing with patient situations where there's not a lot of good options. Uh, and we are constantly trying to make do with less or thread the needle for these patients that don't have a lot of good options. And if you look at what we were dealing with in Afghanistan, certainly it was a little more dramatic given where we were and what was going on in the world, but it's not a whole lot different than some of our patients that we see at UC Davis where you you have no good options for these patients, but you're going to do everything you can with the resources that you have to give them a good solution. And I think that's what we did over there. Um, You know, we we realized first, we recognized that this was going to be a problem. I was thankful that, you know, our line side leadership took this very seriously because sometimes uh, in the medical or the military community, uh, the medical corps is seen as kind of a uh, necessary burden where the line side, you know, would rather focus on combat operations and they don't always want to hear what we have to say. Uh, but I will say that the line side leadership in Afghanistan took this very seriously, very early on. There was no second guessing uh, what we were saying as, as physicians and the recommendations that were being made. And they prioritized this because I think they understood that if, if COVID you know, spread out across our base population, the, the entire mission could collapse. And, and if the entire mission collapsed, lives would be lost over there. So I think, you know, listening to expert opinion, working together with administrators and logisticians and everyone having a united front was key to our success. We didn't have people standing up and saying, I don't believe this virus. I think this is a hoax. We didn't have people saying, you know, I'm going to refuse to put a mask on this sucks. I'm going to go, you know, play cards with my friends every night. Like I always do. People understood that it was a real situation that was life-threatening. We didn't have the luxury of, you know, saying, well, you're infringing on my civil liberty, so I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go do whatever I want. And because we didn't have that nonsense, I, I think we were very successful 
where we certainly had the potential to have, you know, a catastrophic failure over there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really amazing that you got to help lead the charge in this in the middle of a really scary moment internationally. And you kind of downplay it. But I think the, as I understand it, the Air Force did recognize a lot of your hard work. I was awarded the Bronze Star at at the end of the deployment for the work uh, we did related to COVID. And again, it was unexpected. Uh, You know, the Bronze Star is typically a combat-related medal. And if you would have told me, you know, a year ago that I would have come back from uh, Afghanistan with a Bronze Star for combating a viral global pandemic, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think well-deserved. Rory, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed learning from our colleague as much as I did. We at UC Davis are truly proud of our colleagues in the Air Force and our Air Force residents who are training to serve our country selflessly. Thank you all for what you do. Follow us on social media at EMPulse Podcast and join us for part two in our series, The Past, Present, and Future State of Emergency Medicine. See you then.